that we are back in our study. Uh, this study is titled Rebuild. Now, if you have not been with us at all, we have been walking through the book of Nehemiah together, and we are finally at a point where we are officially putting the wall behind us. The work is now done, and so what we are going to see over the next few chapters that we have in Nehemiah is the turning of the people and their hearts back to what is central uh, to who they are and what they are and what they believe. So what we're going to take a look at is really Ezra and Nehemiah collectively calling the people to come back to the center where God is and ultimately where God belongs. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we are actually in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, while you're turning there, I want to ask you, this question. Have you ever given much thought to the importance of the Word of God in your life? I mean, really think about that for a moment. Now, I know we will all say, well, as a believer in Christ, as a follower of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, clearly God is the most important thing in our life. And that is a good thing, and we praise God for that. But what about when it comes to how much time we spend with God? You see, the reality is this. We can always tell what is important to someone's life, whether it's someone else or something else. We can always tell what is important in our life by looking at how much time we spend with it or with them. You know, just recently I was reading a study done by the Nielsen Group, and here's what they came up with. They said that American adults spend roughly 11 hours a day either watching, reading, listening, or interacting with some sort of media that involves a screen. In fact, that's up from four years ago when the number was roughly 9 hours and 32 minutes a day. Now, that's a lot of time to spend either listening, looking, watching, reading, or interacting with some sort of screen. In fact, today, Nielsen Group also tells us that the average person spends roughly 2 hours a day on social media. Now, if you're doing the math, that means the average lifespan of a person, a normal person, will spend roughly five years and four months interacting with social media in their lifetime. Now, I don't know about you, but on our phones, particularly on my phone, I actually have an app that can tell us how much time that we spend on different apps on our phone. It tells us how much time we spend interacting with social media. And I'm going to go ahead and brag for a moment because I was curious. I never turned that thing on before, and so I turned it on because I wanted to know how much time I spent on my cell phone. And thanks be to God, I came out under average. And so I am happy with that. However, at the same time, I was shocked and disappointed at how much time was spent interacting with the screen, with the device, and with social media. And so here comes our question again. When we think about our lives, when we think about our daily lives, when we think about the interactions that we have, do we stop for a moment and ask ourselves this question? Where does God fit in our busy lives? Or better yet, where does the Word of God fit 
into our time. Now, today's sermon title is called, Give Us the Book from Nehemiah chapter 8. And I think once we get into Nehemiah chapter 8, you will begin to understand more about that title. Because you see here, we will see Nehemiah along with Ezra, they are going to spend time calling the people of Israel back to God by revealing to them the importance of spending time with God through interacting with his word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we are going to begin reading Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And if you would, as you're turning there now and you were able, please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now, this is Nehemiah's words in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Nehemiah says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And behind, beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jezebel, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, all of them helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and to be in this place. Father, we thank you that in the midst of 
life and the challenges we face, the struggles that may come our way. Father, we thank you for the moments where we can pause and simply focus on you. Father, I pray that today that you would be glorified as we worship you through the study of your word. Father, I pray that we would be able to lay all distractions aside and focus on your truth, which can be found in the word today. And Father, may you and you alone be glorified, for it is in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, some of you may be asking, in fact, some of you have already asked me this morning, Pastor, what about the rest of Nehemiah chapter 7? I mean, you, you skipped a good section of Nehemiah chapter 7. Well, if you were here last week, we covered all of that information last week. We didn't go into too much detail because what we see that is left is a list of families who were numbered in order to set apart the Israelites from everyone else. So what we see in the rest of Nehemiah chapter 7 is the list of the heads of households and all that were in their family. Now this was all a part of reminding the people of who they are in God. So everything we see in this list of names from Nehemiah chapter 7 helps set up what begins in Nehemiah chapter 8 and in the following chapters. Now, I know some of you were hoping that I would read Nehemiah 7 and hoping to hear me butcher some Hebrew names. Well, guess what? Not today. And just so you know, if you want to go back and cover Nehemiah chapter 7, I will be glad to. However, I'm going to ask the deacons to come up and join me so they can butcher those names with me. I will not stand alone in reading Hebrew names. But we are moving forward in Nehemiah chapter 8. Here we see both Ezra and Nehemiah have faithfully worked to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall. And so now the focus has become rebuilding or restoring, if you will, the hearts of the people. In fact, here we see Ezra read from the law and the people respond to it. And then what we see in verses 13 and following is a great festival that takes place, which we are going to get into next week. But for today's passage, I hope and pray that we see how God's word can begin to form the hearts of the people into something new again. So here in verse 1, we quickly see that the wall is now done. The work is completed. The task has been finished. And now the people want Ezra to bring them the book. It is almost as if the people are crying out. Instead of saying, bring us the book of the law of Moses, they are looking to Ezra with their hands raised saying, give us the book. We want to know the words of God. You see, the people had worked to set themselves apart for God. They had worked to distinguish themselves before God. And so now they were ready to receive the word of God. Now this was a moment that Ezra, according to Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, he was already prepared for. In fact, in uh, Ezra 7 verse 10, he says that he set out to change the world by studying the scripture. So Ezra knew by the plan and the will of God that this moment was coming. And so Ezra was prepared and ready for the moment to teach and proclaim the words of God. And so church, I have to ask us today, are we prepared for the moment when the people ask us about the word of God? 
Are we ready for when people come to us in whatever moment, whether it be joy or tribulation or some sort of hurtful circumstance, and they say to us, what does the word of God say? Are we prepared to give them the book? You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, we read Paul's words to Timothy. And here's what he says to Timothy. He says, to preach the word. But then notice what he says next. He says, to be ready or be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, as believers, we need to be prepared for the day when, the, when people will call for the word of God. You see, I don't know if you realize this yet or not, but God's ultimate plan is to see his people reunited with him. And so a part of that plan is to see people come looking for the words of God. And so as believers, are we prepared for God's plan A? Because a day will come and is coming where people are going to look for truth. And as believers in Christ, we have capital T truth and it can be found in the word of God. You see, we need to be prepared for that day. In verse 2, Ezra and Nehemiah continue. We see that a date has been set for the book to be read. Now, this is clearly happening after the work had been completed. And the very first thing that the people ask for is they request to hear from the law. Now, again, Ezra had already been teaching the word of God for roughly 13 years. And so now the people have called for the word in order to establish God's law in their city, but also to establish God's law directly within their own lives. You see, God's people who have been set apart by God wanted, desired God's word. You see, for us, when we have free time on our hands, when we first wake up in the morning and we check our phones for email or social media or weather, when we're sitting in the evenings looking to drown out the busyness of our day and immerse ourselves and lose ourselves in whatever television show we're watching, whether it's reality or not, when we have that free time, do we view that time as an opportunity to drink from the living water of the word or do we waste it on things that don't matter like our study suggested earlier? You see, the truth is this, according to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2. God's people love God's word. Do we love the word of God? Do we love God enough to spend time in his word? You see, as believers, we need to spend time in the word. As believers... We need to spend time studying the word, whether it's at home, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in discipleship, even when it's in church, we need to be students of the word of God. In fact, I would take it a step further, and I believe Nehemiah would go there as well. Our kids and our children should see us as adults immersed in the word of God, and we should also pass that desire along to them. You see, that's our responsibility to pass on to our children, not someone else's. 
when our kids look to us, do they see people who are passionate about God? Do they see people who are passionate about the word of God and the teaching of his truth? In verse 3 and 4, Nehemiah continues, and what we see here is we see a high wooded platform being built. Now, chances are this was probably not constructed that day, but was something that was constructed over time by Ezra. What this platform represented was a spot for Ezra to stand so that he could stand over the people so that the people could see and hear clearly the word of God. You see, when this platform was built, both Nehemiah and Ezra planned on the building of the platform for this very day because they knew that that day was coming where people would call for the word of God. They understood from day one, going back to Nehemiah chapter one, that the reading of the word of God would be a part of God's plan. We also see here 13 men standing with Ezra as he reads. Now, chances are they stood with him to not only affirm the teaching and proclamation of the word, but chances are they stood to hold the scrolls for Ezra as he read. That way he wouldn't get lost trying to fumble through scrolls trying to find where he was. It was just passed on to him from one of the 13, and he continued to read. But then notice what happens here again in verse 3 and 4, and you should probably underline this. It says here that in verse 3 that he read from the word of God from early morning until midday. I don't know about you, but that excites me as a pastor. You see, Ezra read and taught from the word of God from daybreak, from early morning until noon. Imagine sometime around 7 a.m. till noon. Now, the question for us today is this. Who is ready for that sermon? Who is ready for your pastor to start preaching at 7 a.m. and continue preaching until noon? We should close in prayer right now and have an altar call. I'm not sure any of us are ready for that. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm about 99.9% .9 confident some of us have already checked our phones going, when's this guy going to wrap up because we've got reservations to be somewhere. But you see the importance of the word of God. In verse 3, Nehemiah also notes this. He says this, And the ears of all the people were attentive. Now that's really what's important in verse 3. The ears of the people were attentive. Here's the question for us. Do we do that? When we hear the word of God, whether it's in Sunday school, in discipleship, when preaching is taking place on Sunday morning, are we attentive to the word of God? You see, we need to honor the Lord by listening. We need to honor the Lord by paying close attention when the word of God is being proclaimed. We need to listen closely for the sake of our own soul. 
You see, as your pastor, i got to tell you, it is encouraging to me to look out among you. And yes, I can see your faces, to be able to look out among you and see faces of people who were locked in or dialed in, if you will, to the message of the Word of God. That is encouraging. And here's the reality. It doesn't matter what the preaching sounds like. It doesn't matter whether the pastor has his voice or has lost his voice. It doesn't matter whether the pastor is as charismatic as Billy Sunday who stood on the choir wall and preached about balancing our lives and our lives with God or or if that pastor is someone like Jonathan Edwards who preached a sermon that was probably that led to one of the greatest revivals our world has ever known yet spoke in such a way where he never looked up and he was as monotoned as possible. None of that matters as long as the Word of God is being read and proclaimed. You see, it's the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God and God's people being attentive that leads to life change. It shouldn't matter who's up on the platform as long as the Word of God is being proclaimed. Whether they're loud and boisterous, whether they're boring, it doesn't matter as long as God's word is being proclaimed. Now, listen to this. You see, like the Israelites here in verse 3 and 4, we should be willing to listen to the word in order to honor God, in order to care for our own soul, but then also to encourage the pastors who proclaim the word of God. And so for us, when we think upon the word of God and how we listen, how are we doing when it comes to being attentive or listening closely to the word? Now, here's what happens in verse 5 and 6 as the people listen attentively. It says that the people rose to their feet out of reverence for God's word. Now, this is not a command here. Rather, this was done in order to honor God as his word was being read. You see, the point of standing during the reading of the word of God, if you are able, is to recognize the importance of the Bible, but not simply because of the importance of the Bible. No, we stand because we love the Bible and we place it as important because it is the Bible that reveals God to us. You see, do you understand what makes the Bible so precious? Do you understand what makes the Bible so unique? It's precious and unique because it is the Bible that makes God known to us. And so we should read it. We should proclaim it. We should study it. Verse 7 and 8 we see another set of 13 men, these Levites who were called upon to explain the word to the people. Now, they do this because they wanted to make sure that every possible thing was being done to ensure that the people would not only listen to the word of God, but understand the word of God. Now, note what's happening here. 26 men were faithfully serving the people of God so that they would be able to hear and clearly understand the very word of God. 
you know, I got a question for you as a church. Well, it's not even really a question. It's more of a statement. And uh, ladies, I'm not trying to single you out or separate you. But this has nothing to do with you because you're faithfully serving. But here's the question. Where are the men in the church serving? Where are the men in the church teaching? You see, as a church, we need more men to teach our children. Now, I'm not saying that because women can't teach and aren't allowed to teach. No, I'm saying that because the women are faithfully teaching. I'm saying that because the women are faithfully serving. I'm saying because on Tuesday, there is a group of faithful women who go out and visit our shut-ins. I am saying that because our women are, are faithfully leading in multiple areas. And so now, according to what I'm reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm asking this question. Where are the men? In fact, I don't know if you know this about our church, but I am thankful to God for everyone who serves in whatever capacity that God has called you to serve. But let me, let me share something with you that was a bit eye-opening for me. Men are called, according to scriptures, to be the head of the household. They are called to lead faithfully. But with that, men are also called to lead faithfully in our church. Do you know currently right now in Sunday school, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but in Sunday school right now, our children and our youth, if you look at their Sunday school classes, there are currently only two men teaching. Where is the male influence among our children? Where is the male influence among our young men who are going to middle school and high school? Our boys need strong men in their life. Our daughters need to see godly men beyond their fathers. They need to see godly men who are going to teach them and show them the kind of man that they one day need to look for and to better understand the love that God has for them. Now, again, this is not just a responsibility for men. This is also a responsibility for women as well. However, women have been doing this faithfully, both here at Southside and in every church across the United States. And so now the question becomes, where are the men who are faithfully serving? You see, we need more servants. We need more teachers. We need more who know the word of God, who can understand the word of God and proclaim the word of God so that we have more people who can better help others better understand the word of God. In fact, it was Paul who was speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He said this to Timothy. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. In other words, we too need to read well. In other, to, in other words, we need to read well in order to understand the Word of God. We need to be able to read the Word of God well so that we can clearly explain it when it comes to our children and our youth and the people who work with us who have questions about the Word of God. Because you see, here is the truth of the Word of God and the people of God. Good leaders will faithfully serve the people so that they can better understand the Word of God. We need more faithful teachers. We need more faithful leaders. 
In verse 9 and 10, we see a beautiful response from the people towards the word of God. You see, as they hear the word of God, as the word of God is explained to them, and they begin to understand it, it leads the people to weeping. Now, the question some would ask is this, should we cry every time we open the Bible? Does it mean that I'm a bad Christian if I don't just break down every time I open the Word? No, that's not what it means. What we see here happening is when the Word of God was opening, it was leading the people to repentance, and it was leading to life change that was happening in the hearts of the individuals. You see, when we read the Word of God, it should encourage us. When we read the Word of God, it should inspire us. When we read the Word of God, it should challenge us. When we read the Word of God, it should lead us to conviction and repentance. In fact, we're going to get more into conviction and repentance when we get into chapter 9 of Nehemiah. So I'm going to save that for another day. But notice what happens here. As the people weep over their conviction... As they cry out for forgiveness and repentance. Notice what Ezra and Nehemiah do. They point the people back to joy. They call them to weep no more. In fact, Nehemiah says to them, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. In verse 10. Now what does that even mean? I know we sing about it. We talk about it. We say it. But what does it mean to say that the joy of the Lord is our strength? Well, here it is simply. When we see that the joy of the Lord is our strength, we are simply pointing back to God's joy or better yet, God's good pleasure. Now, pleasure defined is a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. If I could use the illustration, I think of Chick-fil-A when I think of pleasure. I mean, who doesn't? And right now, who doesn't want a chicken biscuit from Chick-fil-A? You see what I've just done to you? I mean, now you're all craving it. I should shut down. However, thanks be to God, they are closed on Sunday. I'll see you all there Monday morning. You name the time, okay? But have you ever been there and you notice what happens? You say, thank you. You pay them and you say, thank you. I've never, that still blows my mind that we hand them our cash and we say, thank you for taking my cash. But that's another story for another day. They give us our food, they they refill our drinks, we say, thank you. What do they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. Now, here's what's interesting about that because when they say, my pleasure, here's what they're saying to us they are saying to us that it is my joy to serve you. Now, let's go back to God for a second. You see, for for Nehemiah and Ezra to say in verse 10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength, they are saying that his joy is his good pleasure. You see, it was God's good pleasure to bring Ezra and Nehemiah back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple, and to rebuild the city. It was God's good pleasure to restore the land back to the Israelites. It was God's good pleasure that led to the completion of the project, and it was God's good pleasure to set the people apart and to bring their hearts hearts back in line with him. You see, it was God who took joy. It was God who took delight. It was God who took satisfaction in seeing his people restored back to him. 
You see, it is God's good pleasure that he sent to us Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, read John chapter 3, verse 17. In that passage, we see that Jesus came to the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, it was God who delights in his creation. It is God who delights in the new covenant that exists between us and him. So we should take joy because God has taken joy in us. But you see, Nehemiah is not done there. He gets into verse 11 and 12 and realizing that the reading of the word of God has caused the people to feel the weight and the guilt and the frustration of their sin. He sends them away with joy because even in the midst of their sin, God delights in them. And that is true for us today as believers in Christ. We need to take joy for God delights in us. Think about that for a moment. God delights in you. He delights in me. When you get discouraged with life, when you get frustrated, stop for a moment. Or or your spouse gets frustrated. Stop for a moment. Look at them and say, hey, God delights in you. You see, there is power in the reading of the word of God. There is power power in knowing it. There is power in understanding the Word of God. Through the study of the Word, we see Jesus. Through the study of the Word, we see God's plan A. Through the study of the Word, we see our own sin and we feel the weight of the guilt that is within us. But according to the Word of God, through the Word of God, we can take heart because it is the Lord who loves us. I gotta ask you, would you believe me today if I told you that God is pleased with you? Let me say that again. God is pleased with you. If you don't believe me, go back and read John 3.16. We see that God loved the world, that he sent his son. You see, God loved and he gave. That was a part of his plan A, and he delights in his plan. Through the word, we learn that God loves his people. Through the word, we learn that God takes delight in his people. And we should praise God. For the word. We should praise God for the Bible. We need to praise God for this precious gift that we have been given. You see, it is in this gift that we see the nature, the will, the purpose, and the glory of God. It is all revealed to us through his word. In this gift, we see ourselves. We see our need for a savior. We see the hope of the coming promise of the Messiah. And we see that he has come. And we see that his name is Jesus. You see, we need to be thankful for the word. We need to spend time in the word. And my prayer for us here at Southside is this, that we would always, 
always be people of the book. Let's pray together.